Hello and welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing UKSG, a podcast exploring journeys in scholarly communications. In each episode, we hear from someone inspiring from the knowledge community and ask them to tell us about their career journey and what has motivated them along the way. Today I'm talking with Joanna Ball, who is the current chair of the UKSG Board of Trustees and the managing director of the Directory of Open Access Journals, where she's been since January 2022. Uh, Thanks very much for coming along today, Joanna. Thank you for inviting me. Um, Do you want to tell me a bit about your uh, current role at uh, DOAJ? I can indeed, yes. Um, So as you you mentioned, I'm, I'm managing director at DOAJ. Um, And for anybody who who doesn't know, um, we are an organization which manages an index of peer-reviewed, fully open access journals, and also has a wider mission to enhance the visibility and impact of all quality open access journals globally. um, And that's regardless of what language they're in, what uh, discipline they're in, or which country they're from. And we've, we have about 19,000 journals at the moment. It's increasing all the time. We get about, uh, about 1,000 applications per month. And I, I lead a team of around 20. So that's kind of the, the, the core team we have at DOAJ. And plus, there's about 100 uh, volunteers who support our work. We get applications from all kinds of publishers, from really small um, kind of one-person journals, diamond journals, up to the very large commercial publishers. We're a really important part of the open access ecosystem, and we work really hard to ensure that only trustworthy journals get into the index. We have a set of criteria, evaluation criteria, which all journals need to meet to be allowed into the index. And these are seen as a, as a gold standard in open access publishing. Now, DOAJ itself um, is the brainchild of uh, Lars Björnshauger, who had the vision at a library conference back in 2003 to take a list, uh, an Excel spreadsheet of 300 open access journals and transform that into DOAJ as a service as we know it today. So I've, I have some pretty big boots to fill in terms of taking over from him uh, as managing director. But my role is really around strategic leadership for the organization, ensuring that we have a sustainable future um, and ensuring that we develop along along with the the needs of the community. And at the moment, my focus is, is very much around finding a sustainable business model so that we can keep up with this demand on our service as open access becomes a norm. Um, and also to take DOAJ, I suppose, from where it is now to, to the next stage in its development. So what, what excites you most about the, the work that you're doing? Well, I've, I've always been um, an advocate for, for open access. Uh, for me, it's, it's a no-brainer that um, if you want to advance knowledge, science, research, um, it it all needs to be open to to everybody. So for me, this job, this role really aligns well with my my own values. And I've learned sometimes the hard way how important it is for me that I'm able to work in line with my own own values. So of course, I I believe in open access, but I also believe that um, a diverse ecosystem is really important for 
research. And actually what excites me is to see the number of journals go up on a daily basis. And if you go to the OAJ's homepage, you'll see we have a kind of a tally of how many journals we have in the index, which is constantly constantly going up. But it, it, it's, it's not that number which is important, but knowing that behind that number is this massive spread of journals from all across the world. And that for every journal that comes into the index, it's essentially receiving a, a quality stamp in terms of, it, of its standards. And that we, DOAJ, are opening up the door to, uh, to integrations everywhere for that, for, uh, elsewhere for that journal and to enable that journal to be discovered and read and to increase its impact. Um, another thing that really excites me is the team that I work with. Again, we all share the same values. Uh, we all believe in, in the importance of opening up uh, research um, on a global basis. They are really dedicated and talented group of people. So for me, the challenge is really about creating a structure and the conditions where team thrives and where they can do what they do best. DOAJ is, is virtual. There's no head office um, and, and our core team only meet together once a year. So creating that sense of community and shared purpose is really important when we're spread all over the world. Now, I have to say, when we, when we do get together, and I've only been able to be present at one of our team meetings so far, the atmosphere is really one of, of celebration and joy. And it's just so motivating and inspiring to be together uh, in the same room. Can you tell me more about your, um, your career journey to, to where you are now at Doage? Sure, yes. Well, I had a really traditional start to my career. So I did a first degree, a graduate traineeship, um, and then a master's in library and information science. And at, at that point, I moved to um, the library system at the University of Cambridge, and I spent around 13 years working there. Cambridge was a, a fantastic place to work. Firstly, because there are just so many libraries, I think at the point I was working there, there was something like 99 libraries. So that was just a fantastic professional network for someone who was newly qualified like me. And it also meant that there were loads of job opportunities coming up. So it was easy to move from, from place to place and carve out a career. Secondly, the, so because so many of these libraries were really small, it meant that you would be responsible for several areas at once. So you, know, you would be responsible for acquisitions and cataloging and systems, um, delivering information literacy training. And so it was a really great way to build up your skills and knowledge right across the whole of uh, librarianship. Cambridge was fantastic because of the, the quality of, of the collections. The last place I worked before I moved um, away from Cambridge was at Trinity College, where I had to manage a 17th century building and just the most amazing manuscript um, in Canabula and, and rare book collections. And it was just a privilege really to work so closely with, with those materials and also with the researchers who were using those materials. After, after uh, Trinity, I moved to Sussex um, I felt the the urge to, to try something different. I wanted to be part of a, I suppose, a bigger academic library. And I'd also, we'd also just started a family. So 
my my parents uh, were in Sussex, so it made sense to to move there. So at, I started at the University of Sussex Library. Um, I think it was back in um, two thousand and nine, um, and I had a number of roles there, starting as research support manager, and I think I finished a few roles later as assistant director. Uh, for content and academic services. Um, I, I was really fortunate um, there. I had a fantastic um, manager who gave me the freedom to be able to experiment with new services for researchers. So, for example, I developed a kind of an annual seminar series. I started um, organizing open access week events and set up a, a scholarship system for for postgraduates to develop the, the kind of doctoral community within the library. I think all of those things are actually still running and they're some of the things I'm most proud of in, in my career. And of course, later on then, of course, with the introduction of open access policies within the UK, I was very involved in developing policies and, and workflows to, to meet those. I moved into the leader, leadership team at Sussex just in time to implement ALMA. So that was another completely different uh, challenge, really took me out my outside comfort zone. Um, and I had some absolutely wonderful colleagues at Sussex and there was a really you know, great supportive culture. And I think by the end, it just, it felt like home. Um, and that's when I, when I made the big move to, to Denmark. And at, at that point, I, I knew, I, I felt I needed to change role. I really wasn't fussed about moving elsewhere um, in the UK. Um, and I'm trying to think of the timing of this, but it was around the Brexit vote as well. It was quite soon after the Brexit vote. And, and we felt that my husband's Danish and I think we, we felt we wanted to, to move to Denmark. And then I saw the role advertised at uh, Roskilde University Library. And Roskilde University, in some ways, is a Danish equivalent of Sussex University. So it's established to, to break with traditions, um, to do something different. Um, so for me, it's felt like a, a very comfortable move from that perspective. But that, I mean, that was a very big move for me, moving to become um, head of the library service and also um, into the, to the Danish civil service as part of the Royal Library. And then from there, I moved to, to DOAJ um, back at the start of last year. So you've made a, a few switches recently. You've, you've switched, you've left the UK, and then you've also moved out of libraries. Um, how has that been for you, making those switches? Yeah, well, for in terms of the switch to DOAJ, um, for me, that has always been a really... Um, uh, kind of DOJ had been an iconic service, a really essential part of the open access landscape. And in the last few years, before I joined DOJ, I'd spoken at conferences and I'd, I'd co-authored an article on how libraries needed to kind of reimagine themselves around open content as opposed to closed, purchased, subscribed content. As and a part of the important part of that is how libraries should be supporting infrastructures like DOAJ. So in many ways, this was about me kind of putting my money where my mouth was and saying, well, I've, I've been talking about how important open infrastructures are. And now I have the opportunity to, to move to an organization like that and make a difference. So it was really daunting to move out of libraries. I'd 
basically walked onto a university campus aged 18 when I took my uh, for my first degree and I hadn't left uh, university campuses in 30 years um, and, and actually that's where my experience at UKSG helped. Um, I'd been a member of the um, editorial board for Insights, our online journal, for, for several years by that point. And that given me experience of open access publishing from a completely different angle, seeing the editorial process in action, giving me a better understanding of standards and peer review. And DOAJ is a little bit similar to, to UKSG and it is kind of at the intersection of libraries and publishers and intermediaries. So in some ways, it meant that that leap didn't feel too far. As I said earlier, DOAJ is virtual, so that that was awesome. That also felt like a a jump, um, but of course, I'd also tried that uh, during COVID, um, and I thought that I could manage working from home full time. And also, I guess by that point, I had made the the big move to Denmark, which for me had been one of those. If if, if you can manage that, then you can hopefully manage anything. So it perhaps gave me the confidence. To, to step away from the libraries and into a different type of role. So what, what do you think was the, the biggest challenge for you before arriving in the position you're in today? Um, I, I think that, that's definitely the move to another country and another culture. Uh, I don't think I've ever done something that has pushed me quite so far out of my comfort zone uh, before. And I felt uh, consciously incompetent for probably the best part uh, of my first year. One major part of that was uh, the language. And I, I'd made a foolish promise at my interview uh, at Roskilde that I would speak Danish from, from day one. And I could speak Danish at that point, but there is a big difference between um, asking your mother-in-law what you're going to be eating for dinner <laughs> And then sitting in a one-to-one -one salary negotiation with a union rep, which is what I had to do three or four weeks in. And that, that meeting was probably one of the most uncomfortable and difficult moments of my career. So I, I think that was, that was massive. And having to be able to, be able to swallow my, my fear and contribute to leadership team meetings when I really disagreed with something while knowing that I wasn't expressing myself Clearly, that was really tough as well, because I think I've always been a bit of a, I've always been a little bit of a perfectionist. And I don't like the, the idea that people are looking at me thinking uh, and thinking that I'm, I'm talking rubbish. So sometimes I really did just have to talk rubbish in the hope that I might be able to get my, my point across. But in some ways, the, la the language challenges were a blessing. Um, it made building relationships with my team um, at Roskilde much easier. Um, in Denmark, the, the English uh, style of management that kind of it has a reputation as being very kind of top down, very heavy handed, the, the English approach. Um, and, and actually, when I went for a visit before I started work at Roskilde, one of my uh, member of my team came up to me and asked me whether it would be OK to call me by my first name or whether um, she needed to call me Mrs. Ball. So I think that that just <laughs> demonstrated that the perception of uh of the British style of management. But having to go in on, on my first day and say, look, I really need you 
all to help me with my language. Um, I've got to go out and represent the library here. I really need your support. I think that broke down a lot of those barriers and made that, that whole transition a lot easier. And it, and it was tough, but by the time I left, I had chaired the university's uh, open science working group and I had co-written, I should say, co-written a report um, in Danish about the, our work for the university's senior management outlining our next step. So I did get there in the end with, with the language, but that it was, it was massive for pushing me outside my comfort zone. The other thing that was really tough about moving to Denmark was the working culture because it is just so different. And there are so many, you suddenly realize how many unwritten rules there are in all working cultures actually. That, that we just we just take for granted. Um, in, in Denmark, it's a really flat, really flat culture and, and environment. So that Roskilde, I had a team of 20 and I was the only manager there. So everybody uh, reported up through, through me. In, the unions are incredibly important, but there's a very different type of relationship between the, the union uh, and management in Denmark than there is within um, the UK. Everything felt much less rigid from you know, job descriptions. There were never any person specifications. And it felt like everything was negotiated and, and was, 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 was flexible in a way that it hadn't been in, in the UK. But I think actually that, that, that experience of working in an international context was a really good experience in terms of preparing me for working uh, with the team at DOAJ, who of course come from all over the world and have very different expectations of how people should work together. So kind of understanding that my way of doing things isn't necessarily the right way of doing things. And there are many other ways uh, of approaching problems was, was really helpful. So it sounds like you've overcome some, some fairly sizable challenges uh, up until the point where you are now. What do you do for your own your own well-being on a on a week-to-week -week basis? Well, I, I started running probably about 25 or so years ago. Um, at, at that time to improve my fitness, um, and I haven't really stopped. Um, so I tend to tend to run three times a week. Um, I sometimes run with others, which you know, is a great way to uh, have a chat with someone. Sometimes I run alone. Um, I run in snow, in rain, in ice. I ran through my pregnancy. So I've never, I've never really, really stopped. And for me, um, it, that's my processing time. That's where I work things out um, and try and, and solve problems or issues that I've got. And I, I really believe that there's no problem that feels worse after you've been for a run. And most times it will feel a little bit better and a little bit manageable. So if I'm feeling stressed, then I tend to go for a run. Um, and, and running, of course, is running regularly for 25 years and not stretching has been really bad for my flexibility. So I took up yoga last year before my body, body you know, finally completely seizes up. Um, and that's also, well, I'm hoping that's going to be a great way to counteract that seizing up and of course I have I have three kids so I wouldn't say that that means that life is stress-free by any means but it it does give a different um, 
perspective. I mean, it it means that you can't be thinking about work when you're when you're with them. Um, they're a great distraction, and it also means that I suppose I've, I've had to set quite firm boundaries. For example, around you know, not working at weekends. So I think that's also helped. So, what role has uh, professional development uh, played in your career? Um, it's been really, really important for me. But I would say that it's much less about kind of the courses or kind of formal learning. Um, and apologies to any of my employers that have sent me on courses or formal learning over the years. But it's much, much more about professional networks. Um, I joined a, a SILIP, or as it was, Library Association um, Special Interest Group, really on in my career, when actually when I was still at library school. Um, it's called the Association for Assistant Librarians at that point, and then it became the Career Development Group later. And it was a kind of special interest group, essentially for early career professionals within, within SILIP. And that gave me experience of things which I would never have gained so early on in my career. So you know, committee work, whether that's kind of being secretary, treasurer or chairing committee meetings, um, organising events, managing resources, making speeches I mean, everything. I mean, and, and actually, more importantly, I, mean, I discovered the importance of building up a professional network, discussing kind of issues that you shared, and supporting one another. And actually, funnily enough, several of the contacts that I, or people that I met and were in that network at that time are now in senior roles within, within, you, in, within the UK, which is, which is quite funny. And, and more recently, um, as I mentioned before, I've been involved with UKSG now for uh, probably eight or so years. And, and I can't, overemphasize how important that has been for my professional development. You know, again, pushing you out of your comfort zone, um, exposing you to different types of people, um, working, working with uh, publishers and intermediaries, and, and not just in a kind of a, a buyer-seller relationship, but in a really collaborative way. It, it's, re it's really about kind of creating a, a, a community. Um, and actually, and also friendships as well. And there are several people that I would count, you know, among my, my best friends that I met through some of these professional networks. So you mentioned earlier about how you um, started working in, in libraries or were on a university campus since you were, since you were 18. <laughs> if you could go back, what advice would you have for an early career librarian like yourself back then? I, I think... Um, I would just say to people, get involved or, or put yourself forward or don't, don't be scared. I can remember the day um, I, I emailed the student co coordinator for um, the Association of Assistant Librarians and volunteered to be the student rep for UCL. And all that imposter stuff, so imposter syndrome stuff was kind of ringing in my ears. You know, would I be good enough? Could I manage it? What would other people think? And I look back now and I just think, oh, you know, just just do it. You really, you know, you won't look back. It, you can, it, it can only be good. So I think that's what I would I would say to to earlier career librarians. Uh, that's that's great advice to anyone just starting out on their career journey. And I've learned a few things 
myself today as well. Um, I've really enjoyed hearing your story. Um, so I hope you enjoyed sharing it as well. Um, so thanks again for coming along and uh, appreciate it. I hope you have a nice weekend. UKSG exists to connect the sector and encourage the exchange of ideas. It brings together the information community of librarians, publishers, intermediaries and technology vendors. If you know someone whose career journey would make for an interesting episode, please get in touch with UKSG via Twitter. Please like and share our podcast to help us support those in our community who are just starting their journey. And subscribe to the channel to keep up with future episodes.